And some major league player, and I cannot remember who it was that played on one of those military teams, hit a home run one day that went out in the left field fence over the road and over the river out there. Boy, he really <laughs> man. That hit, man. Yeah, I don't know how far that went, but boy, it may still be going. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> put it into orbit. Huh? Yeah, put it into orbit. Hey everyone, how's it going? <laughs> Welcome to Dear Lander, a purely Lan Diego podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Jordan. I'm Amara. Today we have a very special guest, Doris Murray. Yes, yeah, Doris! Thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you very much for having me. We're so excited to talk to you. You're kind of a baseball legend from what we hear. Oh, I've been <laughs> in a baseball family my whole life. And so in, in a way, I guess I am. Yeah, I uh, and then I taught school here for forty-two years, or most most of forty-four of my taught in Montana. So what did you teach? When I first came here, they had to put girls PE at the, in the junior high, which they'd never done before. And Mr. Starrett, the superintendent, was upset because he couldn't find anyone to teach that class. And he and my father were having coffee one day at a restaurant downtown, and he said, "Well, my daughter can do that." So they called me in Montana and asked if I would like to do that. And I said, sure. So for four years, I taught junior high PE. Mm. Cool. And then when they built a new junior high, I asked if, instead of moving with that, if I could stay at South and uh, get back in the elementary, because I was missing math and history and science. And, wow. And so they said, well, if we can find someone to teach the PE, I said, that's no problem. My sister and her husband had just gotten back from Germany where he'd been in the service. She was a biology major and a PE minor at Montana State at Bozeman. And so we called her and asked her if she'd like to teach PE here. And absolutely. So she came. So I got my elementary class back again. That's awesome. So, so did you, what grade did you teach? Fifth. Fifth grade. That's mm-hmm. a fun age, isn't it? I love fifth grade. That, that's, a, that's a good one. I've had so many really interesting things happen with my fifth graders that they were willing to talk to me. I mean, we we just had conversations. And one day we were talking about, we had to learn the states on the map. And there were several things that, several states that some of them were having trouble with. And the first pair they had trouble with was Arizona and New Mexico. Some of them couldn't keep those straight. And I said, well, you can learn these. I said it real severe, and they, we can. I said, yes, you can, can, C-A-N, California, Arizona, New Mexico. And one of the boys, his hands went up, and he, his eyes were just snapping, but his, he, in a panic, he said, Miss Mary, I can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? He said, I can't, C-A-N-T, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I said, oh, I'm so glad you can't do that, and the kids just held. Wow. Oh, that's so, awesome. That's very clever. Yeah. yeah, that's a good tactic right yeah, there. Yeah. Cool. When you say the new junior high, I heard you say Mr. Starrett, and I went to Starrett Junior High yeah. here in Lander. So yeah. uh, was there a junior high school building before Starrett Junior High School? Starrett Junior High was the one named for him. Very yeah. cool. And and that was there for a long time and then they built that one over on North Side, that mm-hmm. middle school now. So Yeah. Yeah, but cool. cool. So are you, are you from Montana originally? 
No, my folks were both raised in Montana, Coffee Creek. <laughs> you know, not exactly a well-known town, but they uh, during the dep- after they were married, it was during the depression, and he ended up going to Southern California to find work during the depression. For three years, they stayed in Oregon, and I was born in Oregon. But when I was about three, we moved to California, and I was there until I graduated from college. So very cool. That's cool. Los Angeles. And I didn't leave anything in Los Angeles that I have to go back for. <laughs> did you see L.A. grow a lot? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What kind of growth did you see? Well, one of the fun things, uh, Disneyland, every time they open a new section, we all hit that to check that cool. out. Cool. In the highways, the interstate and the highways, every time a new section opened, I think everybody in Los Angeles drove to one end of it and then drove the other just so they could drive that far without having to stop. So so we saw them building a lot of these highways down there. And now I look at TV shows where they have overhead pictures down on that, and I think, oh, my goodness, you know, highways going every which way. So Yeah, 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 I was just there in in June, and, yeah, the traffic in in Los Angeles is insane. insane. Um, Yeah. So I guess for all of our all of our listeners, um, I used to mow lawns with the Fouts brothers, Jared and Travis Fouts, and I love them, and I can't wait to have them on the show. Um, and they said, "Yeah, we'll do that, but you should talk to to Doris um, first. And Doris has like some amazing stories as it pertains to baseball. They both love baseball, and they and they live by baseball, especially on the weekends in the summer." They said, but Doris um, understands and has like some amazing stories, the history of Inlander, as well as like, you know, with the Brooklyn Dodgers, like you were just showing us. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, we're so excited to hear about, about everything, you know, you have to offer. Well, a lot of, a lot of good memories. And since I've talked to you the other day, I've been thinking about that when we first moved up here. They uh, they had a league, and it was just town leagues. It was Warland and Powell and Lovell and Grable and Thermopolis and Lander were the teams that, that played. And the ballpark was way different than it is now. Wooden bleachers. The dugouts were literally dugouts. They just barely were above the surface. Mm-hmm. So they could have bleachers actually behind them, which was kind of neat. There were no lights, so you couldn't play night ball. So the first year that my father was involved with the team, that was one of the things he did was make sure we got lights out there. Not like they have now. They were just old wooden poles with lights, but it worked. We could have night baseball. So. And the town really loved their baseball team, and they backed it in so many ways, I'll tell you as we go along, but it was just amazing. There were a couple of men that didn't play, but helped with the team. Uh, Stan Chambers was the general manager, and Bill Hayes was the business manager, and they took care of all the uh, finances and things, you know, when we had to make trips and stuff. So, and anyway, when we came in 56, my father's first game that he played was near the end of July, and he was a catcher. And the next year, they asked him if he would be manager. And he said he would, and he managed the team and immediately got the lights put in and started scheduling other teams rather than just those that they had been playing, like Warren Air Force Base. Mm. Lowry, you know, all those military bases, which were all over and all had good teams. And a lot of them had 
major league players that had been drafted or had enlisted. And oh, of course, if there was a team where they were stationed, they played on it, and a lot of them came to Landers, so that was kind of fun. And then a thing that was interesting, when my father was in California, we had a pitcher that was absolutely wonderful. His name was Bill Francis. And in fact, he, I think, twice signed contracts to play professional ball. Both times he had a family, and both times he felt like he wasn't being allowed to move on quick enough, and he dropped out and, came and went back to his family. But when we moved up here, he still wanted to play for my father, so he brought his family up here. Wow. Lived That's here. so and cool. I think he got a job, I believe, as a custodian at one of the schools, I think is what he did. But he was wonderful. He had a pickoff play to first base that just blew people's mind. It was so smooth, and new umpires didn't know whether to call it a balk or not because all the, the crowd for the other team yelled balk when he did that. But twice I saw him throw when a runner was on first, and the uh, first baseman had the ball in his hand, and the runner was still standing there. He hadn't even realized it had come over. I mean, no it, it way. It was that good. Whoa. And, and what, what position was he? Oh, he, he was, was a pitcher. pitcher. Okay. He was a pitcher. And he, he was wonderful, and he wanted to play for my dad again. So he was up here all the time. My father was here. But anyway, wow. there's a great article in the June 6, 1957 newspaper about my father, and he also had contact with some of the colleges down there in California. Some of those coaches used to send him some of their players. So they sent him up here. We had players up here from, let's see, Pepperdine and Long Beach State, and they would come up to play for Lander. No and, way. And they, there was announcements in the paper, our college kids are back, you know, we need summer jobs for them. And the businesses in Lander would find jobs for them, which was very neat. And so we had some really good players that way. Wow. But That's anyway. so cool. <laughs> and it also, he was a scout for the Cleveland Indians and had been for several years before he came up here. Your father was? Uh-huh. I see. And I think he had contact with some other teams, too, because we had one tournament up here that we had scouts from four different big league teams here in Lander. Mm -hmm. And it, w it was wonderful. Everybody thought that was great. One of them was Carl Mays. And I don't know if you know Carl Mays or not. He had a real sad story. He was a Yankee pitcher back in the 20s. And any baseball history book you read about Carl Mays, he, uh, in 1920, they were playing Cleveland. And he hit a batter with a pitch ball. And that batter died. It was the only major league player that's ever been killed by a pitch ball. Aww. Well, anyway, Carl Mays was up here as a scout 25 years later, and uh, between games of a doubleheader, he'd come over to our house, and we got to visit with him. And he said that after that game, he was able to get to the hospital and talk to this Ray Chapman, this Cleveland infielder. And Chapman said, this wasn't your fault. And that day, the way the game was played, the Batters crowded the plate to bug the pitchers, and the pitchers threw at him to back him off. And mm -hmm. So he said that this young man that died told him it wasn't his fault, which was kind of neat. He, but it was neat. a sad story, but yeah. you, you'll find that in any baseball history book wow. about that. Wow. Anyway, we had lots of, of great games here, and 
one of our most interesting competitors was Warlin. And the man that ran that was a man who had had a team in Southern California that we had played. And we came up here, and lo and behold, he was already here. But it just, it was really interesting. The Lowry Air Force Base, Ellsworth, oh, all the, these military bases, and there were a bunch of them around. That, that tournament was really good with all those uh, scouts from those major league teams. But one of the really interesting ones we had, we were invited to a tournament in uh, Colorado. They had a uh, Grand Junction, but they invited, they had Alpine, Texas, and their team, and I think it was Ogden, Utah, that they had, and they needed another team, and they had, somebody had told them about this town, in, little town in Wyoming that had <laughs> such a good team. Uh -huh. In fact, this article I found one time, it said the position of the Lander Pioneers is one of the top semi-pro baseball teams in the Rocky Mountain area was reaffirmed here last week when the Pioneers received and accepted an invitation to play in the annual Eagles Invitational Tournament at Grand Junction, Colorado. Wow. The Pioneers received the invitation to this weekend's action after officials of the tournament had been told by various service clubs and independent teams that the Lander Club was the best they had had that they'd met this season. Lander's first game will be played against a powerful Provo, Utah, 9 Friday, August 16th. The other two teams in the two-game elimination tournament were Alpine, Texas, and the host Grand Junction. Well, it was cut and dried that Alpine would win. They were a fantastic team. They had a lot of money. They could hire these fantastic players. Mm -hmm. So everyone agreed that they, they would win. When we got there, we found out the schedule had been changed and that we were going to play Alpine the first game. In this oh, double really? elimination tournament. Well, my father's plan for this tournament was to start every game with Bill Francis, this great pitcher we had, yeah. for just a few innings hope that we'd get some runs during those innings, and, and he would hold the, the other team, with, probably without any, and then put in relief pitchers, and uh, that, that was going to be his strategy. Well, when he found out that we were gonna play Alpine that first game, he chucked all that out the window and decided to pitch Bill Francis that whole game, which was interesting. When we got to the eighth inning, we were behind two to one, we got two, runs in that inning to put us ahead three to two. And they, and they put in a relief pitcher, Alpine did. And I cannot remember, and I've thought and thought, I don't know if we got the runs and they put in the relief pitcher or if they started him at the beginning of that eighth inning. But anyway, we got two runs. We held it and beat Alpine. Of course, we didn't, wow. do, we didn't do much the rest of the tournament because we'd blown our pitcher, but he couldn't pitch then for a couple of days, but Alpine didn't win either, so Grand Junction <laughs> won their own tournament. Mm, I see. <laughs> and so my father was completely happy. He did not like the idea of being considered, oh, an underdog, let's just get rid of them quick, you know, in that mm -hmm. first round. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, I have, a, I have a question or two. Okay. Um, this field that y'all were playing at, was it at City Park? It's the same one that's down there now. The same one, the same like Babe Ruth field. So you said the name of the team was Lander Pioneers. Mm -hmm. And then uh, did you mention Riverton had a team? I guess I was curious if people from Riverton were coming over here and playing. I don't believe that Riverton had a team at that time. I don't remember. It was the same field, but it was very different. Like I say, we put in the first lights. 
We had just old wooden bleachers. Those are all taken out now on these metal ones. The dugouts now are different. But no, it was that field. And some major league player, and I cannot remember who it was, that played on one of those military teams, hit a home run one day that went out in the left field fence over the road and over the river out there. Boy, he really sucked hit, man. Yeah, I don't know how far that went, but boy, it may still be going. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Put it into orbit. Yeah, put it into orbit. Yeah, and, and many, many wonderful games there. Bud Blonder was named chairman of the baseball club at one time and he was looking for jobs for the returning college students and and other returning players. We had one player, uh, Floyd Brock, that was from Georgia, and he knew one of the players here, and they got talking, and he was so impressed with what he was hearing about Lander, he literally moved his family from Georgia to Lander so he could play. I mean, it was a wonderful team. Yeah. Lander, man. Yeah, yeah, it was Lander. But anyway, it was, we had Utah Power and Light. We played them one time. They called themselves the Kilowatt Kids. I thought that was kind of interesting. (laughs) It's a great name. That's a really good name, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We had some of the teams, uh, the Havana Cuban Giants from the Negro League. Oh, wow. We had some of them come in. They did a lot of barnstorming type of games. And he had some of them come in and play. That was that was fun, some of those teams. One of the last tournament that I think was so interesting was Lethbridge, Canada, had this tremendous tournament every year. I don't know how many teams were involved, but they only invited four teams from the United States. All the rest of them were Canadian teams. Mm-hmm. And Lander was one that was invited this, this cool. year. And it was interesting because First of all, the expenses of that, and again, they put ad in the paper that we needed $800 for food and lodging for the team and asked for contributions from the town and got it. But the biggest problem was how to get them up there. And again, Lander came through. Five pilots from Lander and one from Riverton, each owning their own plane, Mm -hmm. volunteered to fly the team up there and back for free which they did. Wow. Lander backed that that team at that time. That's that is super cool. That's unreal. That's so cool that um because just like hearing yeah, when I when I talked with Travis and he was telling me just kind of relaying all the stories that you were did you're talking about now it's just wild to think about um and especially that something like that so special was in Lander in the 50s, you know, yeah. for baseball. That's that's so cool to think about. Um, yeah, and that the community really backed it. Totally. You know, it was like all in. That's a really they cool thing. They were all thing. in, absolutely, absolutely. But then at, um, at the end, I think it was in 57, the company my father worked for uh, sold their uranium company. Hmm. And so he started being in and out of town, so he had to drop out of the baseball. They went on playing, but by that time I was teaching in Montana, so... You know, I missed out on a lot of it, too. But those couple of years were just amazing to me. And to have a town back the team like Lander did is one of the things that just amazed me still that that was, that was done. 
So yeah, that's so. How cool. how long uh, were the Lander Pioneers a team then? I don't know. I they were they played evidently for quite a while, but see, I was in Montana, so yeah. I don't know. But they were still playing. That's when all these the new stadium and everything was built and. They put in, we put in a scoreboard in the outfield, but it wasn't the one they have now. This one is so much better. Oh, it's lovely. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we put that and we put the lights and, and we needed more seating because we'd have 150, 250 people come to the games and had to buy tickets. Of course, the tickets were only 50 cents for adults and 25 cents for kids. Mm -hmm. But at that time, you know, that was, that was quite a bit, but they, had to borrow some extra bleachers, and I forgot where they got them, whether it was from the rodeo grounds or what, but they brought them and set them behind the third base dugout. Of course, I said the dugout was low enough you could have bleachers behind them. Anyway, it was, they evidently played for years after that, but I lost track because I wasn't here, so. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I asked my dad, but my dad and my grandfather also grew up here, and my dad played baseball and grandpa might have as well, but dad definitely played baseball um, in the 80s and 90s for the Lander Pack Rats. Hmm. Um, because I was look like grandpa has a bunch of cool hats and I he had a bunch of Pack Rat hats. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think maybe that was like a, a club team and I wasn't sure if the Lander Pioneers had transitioned into the Pack Rats or what the history I don't, of that is. I, that I don't know. However, here's something interesting. Yeah. In August of that last year that we were here, uh, they had an old-timers game. One's the Lander natives, you know, that had been on the team for a long time, and they formed this old-timers team, and, and they played against the Lander pioneers, which were the younger players mm -hmm. at that time. You want to know the names? I, I think yeah. I have the yes. names. I almost hated to do this because I'm sure I would, forgot some of them, but... Here's the ones I remembered. Bill Francis pitched, of course, and my father caught. Joe Lanham, Jack King, wow. Alex McDougal, Ray Lewis, Chuck Welty, Bill Hanking, Dale Shoup, and Floyd Brock were the, the, some of them that I remember, and I think uh, Gene Patch. And that was on the old-timers team? That was, on, that was the old-timers team. Yeah. Neato. So anyway, it was... It was fun baseball and well-received. Yeah, it sounds like it. Can you tell us a little bit about your father's career in baseball and how that kind of followed him here? Because I'm, I'm gathering that there was a lot of, you know, people who loved him and wanted to just come and play with him. So can you tell us a little bit about his career? Well, like I say, he was born and raised in uh, Montana. Then when he and my mother were married, it was during the Depression. And so they went first to Oregon a few years, and that's where I was born. And then they went to Los Angeles looking for work. And he immediately found a team to uh, play baseball and very quickly became manager of these teams that he played on. And, and it was interesting because there were a lot of major league players that played on those semi-pro teams in the winter, keep in shape. And I mentioned Duke Snyder, uh, center fielder for Brooklyn played for us. When I was eight years old, my grandfather taught me how to keep score, listening to the radio. And I think he did it to shut me up so he could listen to the game. But by the time I was 10, I was my dad's official scorekeeper. And I look back now and I think, oh my goodness, 
a 10-year-old girl telling a professional big league player, I'm sorry you don't get a hit. That shortstop should have fielded that ball. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Nobody ever argued with me. I think they were afraid of my dad. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing that was, we'd go... We would, we'd go to the Pacific Coast League games, so the AAA. Mm-hmm. At that time, there were only eight teams in the American League and eight in the National, so there were a lot of great players that there was just never an opening that they could make it to the majors. Sure. And a lot of them ended up in these AAA leagues. And we, we would go, there was a Wrigley Field down there where the Los Angeles Angels played in that league, and we'd go there a lot, and I'd sit with my dad, and we'd talk about, you know, what was happening. He'd say, well, now, see, do you think that that fielder should have fielded that ball. I mean, we talked about what was an error and what was a hit, what was a fielder's choice, and it wasn't that I was just playing this off my head. And then this uh, fellow that I was telling you about, Mr. Peterson, that was inventing this new scorebook for baseball, and he would bring copies of it over for me, and I'd use them, and then when he'd come back again, we would talk about what I liked, what I thought could be added, and so on. It, it was real interesting. And then one thing that really was interesting, and I still don't know the what was back of it, but they had a major minor league all-star game down there at that Wrigley Field. And it was an all-star team from the big leagues that played an all-star team from the Pacific Coast League each year. And it was done for some children's organization it was money was donated to that and one year they called and asked me if I would be the official scorekeeper for that which I did and thoroughly enjoyed but I've often wondered where did they get my name and then I got thinking I bet Mr. Peterson gave it to him because he knew if I was the scorekeeper he'd be kept on his new books (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that's probably how I how I got my name on there but wow that's really cool so so you have like a a piece of history. Oh, absolutely. You are a part of it. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, I don't know, it, that's just my whole whole life, you know, growing up, that was, baseball was a big part of, of it, and so, yeah. anyway. Yeah, so I'm very interested about, you know, yeah, Brooklyn Dodgers, um, we walked in, and you have this photograph for all of our listeners here of uh, the, the 55 Brooklyn Dodgers and Jackie Robinson is in that photo Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so did did you meet those guys you know I didn't meet them but uh, we did get back to Ebbets Field once and I did see one game back there but the thing that's so interesting about this they played the Yankees World Series after World Series and this is the only one in all the years they were in Brooklyn that they finally beat the Yankees (laughs) and won the World Series so there's another interesting thing. Just a minute, let me show you. Oh, yeah. Yes. Back in the late 40s, uh, New York had three teams, and each one of the teams had an all-star center fielder. All three of them are now in the Baseball Hall of Fame. The Yankees had uh, Mickey Mantle and, wow, and yeah. of course, Duke Snyder for the Dodgers, and the Giants had Willie Mays. And this uh, baseball has... There's those three autographs on it. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't prove that it's legitimate. But it does make a good conversation starter. Yeah, it does. And that's cool. And to this day, you'll, you'll hear people talking about which of those three were the greatest center fielder. Because yeah. they were all tremendous. So. Wow. 
That's so cool. I mean, it looks super legit to me. Yeah. <laughs> like. Well, and I know. That's so cool. That one of uh, Duke Snyder making that catch up on the wall is. And I also have a couple of other balls. But anyway, I think this one's kind of cool. Yeah. It is super cool. Mm-hmm. So do you still attend baseball games in Lander? Yeah. Do you go every well, once I, in a while? I try to, but it's gotten much harder at my age to sit on those bleachers. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So I usually don't stay for the whole game, but yeah. Very cool. Let's see now, is it this week they had games? I think they do. I think though, yeah. yeah. Yeah, starting at 6 o'clock, so I may go out and watch that for a while because it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. I feel like you should have been a coach. Oh. I think you could have done it. Well, it was, it was fun growing up. I mean, oh, and one of my favorite things, when I was just a little kid, one time my grandfather came over, and he was so excited, and he said, we have to go to uh, Wrigley Field. And we said, why? And he said, because Satchel Paige is barnstorming, and he's going to be there and pitch. Wow. And uh, so we went to see him, and so I got to see Satchel Paige pitch. And are you familiar with him? I recognize was, the name. He was fantastic in the Negro League, and he was up in his 40s before they finally let him into the major leagues. Cleveland mm -hmm. uh, signed him. But I'm telling you, arms and legs flailed in every direction, and all of a sudden, out of that mess would come a ball. I don't know how anybody ever Wow, hit him. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> and, and another one that, that we actually hit against that tournament in Grand Junction, that pitcher that went in um, in the eighth, pitched the eighth and ninth inning. Mm -hmm. um, years later, name didn't mean anything to me then, but years later I was doing research in some old newspapers and I found an article about that, and that was Gaylord Perry. Mm. And he went on to a fantastic major league career and is now in the Hall of Fame, and the Lander team hit against him, but that gives you an idea of Alpine's quality of players yeah that, that's so cool so tell us about um besides baseball what what did you do in lander what since you've been here like what do you like to do do you well, have any like fun memories that you're like lander's so cool oh i i worked before i actually started teaching here i worked for uh, the city park i lifeguarded i taught square dancing to the kids in the summer cool. and Neato. and tennis and all kinds of things like that. A woman I, of many talents. And, and my father <laughs> also in the winter worked for the city keeping the ice rink. Mm -hmm. And this was so funny because you don't just flood an ice rink or else you get this kind of thing. So he would go out and he would, after 10 o'clock, after everybody left and went home, he'd go out and he'd scrape all the ice and, and leaves off of it. And then my sister and I, when I was here, you know, Christmas vacation stuff, we'd go out and every place there had been a leaf, of course the sun heats the leaf and then there was a hole under it. And so we would pack snow in every hole in that ice rink. And then when we got that done, then he'd go out and, and uh, spray just a small coat of water on it. Then he and my grandparents and my mother would play pinochle until that hardened. <sighs> then he'd go out and put another layer mm -hmm. on it and they did that until about three o'clock in the morning all winter to have good ice I, I did that for a few years where i was um yeah ice in the ice in the rink mm -hmm. it's pretty fun yeah it's pretty, really cold when you're out there sometimes but yeah but uh, also my hobby is genealogy 
and so I've helped people through the years that had ancestors in this region. I, you know, I'd check the cemetery and then I'd get obituaries and marriage licenses and stuff for them. And when I finally retired in 99, for a couple of years, I taught genealogy classes for CWC. So mm. that's so that cool. Was, that was kind of fun. What got you interested in genealogy? When my grandmother passed away, when my uncle, when we invited him up here, he brought a box of old, old pictures. And I didn't know who any of them were. And I thought, oh, how sad, you know. My mother said, well, I know who they are because she said when she was a girl, she and her mother on rainy days when they couldn't get out to do anything would sit and go through those pictures and talk about who they were. So I made a chart of my parents and grandparents, you know, and tried to get all those people. And it's addictive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From then on, I was hooked. So, And I still once in a while help people. I had a fellow from it Alabama call one time, and he said that just before, just after he was born, his father, who was in the Air Force, his mother got a telegram from the Air Force saying he had been killed in a B-17 crash in Yellowstone Park. Hmm. And his mother was mad at her husband because she hadn't wanted him to enlist in the first place, so she would never tell her son anything about him. So he wanted to know about that. And he called Yellowstone, and nobody up there then knew anything about it. And so he called, contacted the Air Force, and he didn't have enough information that they could help him. So he got my name someplace, and I was in Wyoming, and so was Yellowstone. So that was, <laughs> that was good enough. So he called me, and I have a book called Death, Danger, and Disaster. I think it's the name of it. And it's an account of hundreds and hundreds of the National Park Search and Rescue Team missions through the years, clear from the time they started back in the 1800s in Yellowstone. And I thought, well, if that plane went down in Yellowstone, you know, they would have been called out for it. So I checked that book, and sure enough, it was. And it, the thing that was interesting, he had been in Air Force intelligence training in Southern California. He'd finished the training, was assigned to Lewistown, Montana, hitched a ride on a plane, and it was the wrong plane. It iced up going over Yellowstone and went down. But uh, anyway, I contacted him and actually I bought him a copy of that book and sent to him. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so then he contacted the Air Force and with it, what it said in there, it gave the numbers and everything of that plane. And oh, they could give him all kinds of stuff. But the thing that was interesting was I knew there was a 10-man crew in those B-17s. And uh, this one said that 10 men died. But in this article, it said that one of the men managed to bail out and was rescued. And I thought, now this number-wise doesn't jibe. And so anyway, when he got this information from, his, from the Air Force and his dad had hitched a ride on there, that was that extra person that was on that plane. <laughs> Wait. So, oh, really? Yeah, so that's why 10 died and, and yet one survived because there were 11 on it because of him. But that was, it, it's real fun to help people. That's Whoa. super and cool. And that plane, the thing that's interesting, that plane through the years, they, they plants and stuff just grew up and literally covered it. it. I was in the northern part of the park, I guess, and they just left it there. And no one had seen it for years. And then back in 88, they had terrible fires in Yellowstone. And it burned all that, and that plane 
came to view again after all those years. Oh, wow. So, Is it still there? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Oh. Or if I know. Last we time I talked to it. him, he said no. his knees wouldn't allow it, but he was going to see if he could get somebody up there by horseback to take his sons up to that mm-hmm. crash site. But I don't know if he ever did or not. But anyway, oh. that, that's fun to help people mm-hmm. with their family histories. That's wonderful yeah. that you do that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. So I ask all of our guests this. <laughs> it's kind of a weird question, but I'm super interested. Do you have a favorite lander smell? Favorite lander smell? Mm-hmm. No, but I think that's my favorite smell. But I don't have one. <laughs> growing up, I'll tell you why. Growing up in Los Angeles, it was smog. Oh, and yeah. you constantly had that. It, it did not smell good. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the air is so pure here, yeah, I would say is my favorite smell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. That is great. What about a favorite lander, uh, I guess, like feeling or, or sound or something? Something that brings up like nostalgic, like I guess at the baseball field even. Oh, yeah. Do you ever catch or feel something that, you know, brings back memories? Not that I can think of particularly. Mm-hmm. I just... I just love everything about Lander. I just, and I always have. Like I said, I moved up here right out of college and had to go to Montana for four years. And when I got here, I thought, man, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so. What do you love about Lander? I, well, the fact that people in the doors and offices, everybody seems to know everybody. You walk into a business and, oh, hi, how are you? And they call you by name and banks, every, every place. They, you know, they seem to know their customers. And that is so different than in big cities. And so, I don't know, I, I just like the whole atmosphere of Lander. Yeah. yeah. Is there um, a restaurant that is no longer here that was one of your favorites? I went to, what was Janice Suter's? She had one down on the corner. I don't remember which corner it was. But it was really interesting because they had um, a row of, of tables, but then they had a row, you know, just a regular, I don't know even what you call it, but anyway, back behind, they had this deal that moved, and when they got done, they'd pick up dirty dishes, and they'd put on that, and it would run them clear back mm-hmm. to the, uh, where they washed the dishes and stuff. I thought that was kind of neat. That's cool. Very yeah. cool. Little conveyor belt. Little conveyor belt. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I have one last baseball question. Um, so you you said you had been to Wrigley's Field. Have you been to? Did you go like to the old Yankee Stadium, or have you ever been to Fenway? The only ones I've ever been to, we went to Ebbets Field one time to watch the Dodgers mm-hmm. before they moved. Once I got when they first moved to Los Angeles, they played in the Coliseum until they got their new stadium built. Mm-hmm. And I did get to go to one game there, and that w- that's a football field. To put a baseball diamond in there, that was weird. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and then two or three times I got to go to uh, Dodger Stadium there uh, that they have now, and I've been to Coors Field once to watch Colorado. So cool. it's the only... But like I say, a lot of games in that Pacific Coast League. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much yeah, for being on. Thank you. Oh, well, you're very welcome. This is Jordan. This is Amara. This is Deerlander. We'll talk to you soon. See you later.